Hello, audiobook fans. I'm your host, Andrew Caberline. Welcome to another episode of your favorite audiobook first podcast. Today, Harper Audio presents Joe Hill. Halloween. It's the best holiday there ever was. Don't try to fight me on that. And it's coming up soon. So we wanted to bring you an episode featuring someone whose work fits right in with the horror and mischief that that holiday radiates. And that person is Joe Hill. Joe is the best-selling author of horror and thriller novels like The Fireman and Heart-Shaped Box. His work has been adapted for TV and film. Maybe you've seen the film Horns starring Daniel Radcliffe. Maybe you're a regular viewer of Nosferatu on AMC. Those are both straight from Joe's brain. I was super lucky that Joe stopped by the office to talk about his new collection of short stories, Full Throttle, which features a murderer's row of audiobook narrators like Zachary Quinto, Kate Mulgrew, and Neil Gaiman, just to name a few. We chat about Joe lending his voice to the audiobook for the first time in his career, the time his dad let Tom Sabini babysit him, what really scares him, and so much more. Plus, Joe plays a bloody version of the self-awareness game and reaches into the dreaded Harper Audio grab bag. This is a really fun interview, and I know you're going to love it, so let's get right to it. Joe, thank you for being here. Thanks so much for having me on. Um, This is your first time in in Full Throttle where you have been one of the narrators for the audiobook. Is that correct? Uh, Yeah. I mean, for the most part, I kind of feel like you leave the reading to professional, mm-hmm. you know, pro- people, professional actors, professional readers, people with, uh, you know, who practice it, that kind of presentation. Um, but I did think because it was a collection of short stories and there's a sort of personal introduction, it made sense to have at least, you know, some of the work uh, in in my own voice. So this wasn't your uh, your grand announcement of going into the world of professional acting from uh, this. Oh no 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 I don't think so. <laughs> um, although I although I have done uh, a little acting all of it bad um <laughs> i was a i was a child actor i was uh in a film mm-hmm. um that my dad made with george romero called creep show that mm-hmm. came out in 1981 and uh i was a i was a seven-year-old at the time say eight-year-old i think when we filmed and i played this kid named billy <laughs> who uses a voodoo doll to uh, get even with his abusive father for taking away his horror comics, <laughs> and uh, which is which is actually like um, you know it was pretty close to my actual personality. Yeah, was it was, always, was that like method acting? Yeah, yeah, it was always <laughs> right. It was always sort of a mistake to get between me and my comics. You know, the interesting thing about the experience of acting and 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 being on the Creep Show set. This was in the very early 1980s, mm-hmm. and like nowadays, if you're an actor, you know, a child actor, and you go to a set, you've got like a nanny and a teacher, and there's you know rules about how long you can act. Yeah. But but back then, for a little independent film shooting in Pittsburgh, everything was different. Yeah. And so like you know, if my dad was working, they didn't really have anyone to look after me, so they put a, a guy named Tom Savini in charge of watching <laughs> me. Tom wow. Savi- Tom Savini for for the listeners who don't know Tom Savini is the the grandmaster and godfather of gore mm-hmm. you know sort of a wizard of gross out special makeup effects yeah. um, he made the dead walk and dawn of the dead um, he he murdered uh, teenagers in <laughs> Friday the 13th and he did all the gore effects in 
in Creepshow. And I spent the whole week in his trailer watching him artistically disfigure movie stars and wow. invent incredible, you know, unforgettable <laughs> monsters. And uh, I had the time of my life with him. He was like my first rock star. That is amazing, actually. Like, that's mind-blowing to me. He was me. a good babysitter. In, was, in the sense that I'm sure you saw him literally blow someone's mind up. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was a great babysitter. I think his his babysitting babysitting technique might be considered controversial since, <laughs> since, since whenever we had downtime, basically we hung out and look at, looked at his big book of autopsy photos. <laughs> that's his reference guide. Yeah, yeah it was. It was yeah. actually literally yeah. his reference guide. And, and, you know, and he didn't really feel like, like he talked to me like I was just another grown-up. Mm-hmm. He didn't really seem to have any sense that you should treat a kid differently from. <laughs> so he talked about stuff like he talked about you know, going to Vietnam and his great achievement there, which was not getting killed. I mean, that's, um, yeah, it's pretty great. Yeah, yeah, you know, and and uh, and he talked about, you know, having seen some disturbing stuff over there, and he said, I thought about therapy, and then I decided to do this instead because they'd pay me. <laughs> that's wonderful. Yeah. Um, so what is your your history with the audiobook format? I know this is the first time that you've read. Uh, right. Well, it's the first time I've read publicly uh, on a on a recording, Actually, I have a longer history with audiobooks than people might suspect. Mm-hmm. So I come from a I come from a literary family. My you know my father is the novelist Stephen King. My mother is the novelist Tabitha King. Um, and and when I was growing up, you know, books were everything to my family. Mm-hmm. Uh, the dinner time conversation was always, you know, uh, publishing characters, what we were reading, writers, uh, you know, and and we were all readers and all still are, um, but we would do stuff like we would play card games and the loser of like a long game of rummy would have to read a book on audio for the winner because back <laughs> then there was a lot less unabridged audio, yeah. you know, um, in the early 80s that just wasn't, now you can get almost everything on unabridged audio, but back then um, there was a much more limited selection. And so, uh, I, for example, I remember having lost a... Um, a uh, a big game of hearts to my dad and I wound up reading The Carpetbaggers by Harold Robbins <laughs> on audio for him. So it's not like, and sometimes, sometimes for, to this day, sometimes for Christmas gifts, um, we will read each other stuff on audio. Uh, I, a couple years ago, I read, I had read a bunch of the Paris Review and mm-hmm. so I read three or four of my favorite stories from the Paris Review on, <laughs> on CD and gave them to everyone in the family. So I guess this isn't really your first time uh, so, narrating yeah, no. audio. Yeah. So I actually do have some experience, you know, sitting there with a mic in my face, mm-hmm. uh, uh, trying, you know, and and reading a story on audio for for um, the entertainment of others. <laughs> um, but this is my first time coming out in public and doing it. Were any of the times when someone lost and had to be forced to read an audiobook, would someone pick a book uh, that was not for their own listening pleasure? They're like a more just of a to make you suffer, yeah. just to yeah. make you suffer. No, for the most part, for the most part, if you had something recorded, it was because you wanted to listen to it. Mm-hmm. And those recordings were very special, you know, um, because it's like a, you know, it's someone you love reading you a story, yeah. which is just a great pleasure. When I was in college, or actually a little bit after college. Uh, my dad lost a bet to me and had to read something on audio. And so so I write as Joe Hill, but my full name mm-hmm. is, is Joe Hill King. Um, and I was named after uh, the Joan Baez song, I Dreamed I Saw Joe Hill Last Night. She <laughs> sang it. She sang the most memorable version. Yeah, she didn't yeah. write it. Um, and so I was sort of curious about the labor leader, Joe Hill, 
um, who was executed in the 1920s in Salt Lake City by firing squad, supposedly for murder, but there was a feeling in among union people that the whole thing was a frame-up. Yeah. And that he had been killed for his union activities in Utah. And at this point, I was already writing as Joe Hill. I had already had stuff published as Joe Hill. My dad read Joe Hill by Wallace Stenger on audio for me, and I listened to it, and I love that recording, and he did a great job, and it was really fun to listen to. When I was, when I finished the book, I, I came to the unhappy conclusion that actually Joe Hill probably did commit the murders, <laughs> you know, that, 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 mm-hmm. that he was accused of. Uh, Wallace Stenger makes a pretty good case that he was actually guilty. <laughs> um, and so it's kind of like, you know, my pen name is kind of like, you know, ah, I, I'll just write under the name Ted Bundy. Yeah, you know? new book by Charles Manson. Yeah, yeah. that's right. <laughs> um, so with Full Throttle being a collection of uh, 13 short stories, yeah. um, you don't just do short stories, so I'm curious what the approach is like when you sit down to write something short versus something long, and if it's different at all. Well, no, it isn't. Mm-hmm. You know, the brief answer is it's exactly the same every time. Yeah. My, you know, the first thing you do is you try to come up with with a hook, a, a, a way to pull, you know, an idea to build your story around. So, for example, there's a story in the collection called By the Silver Waters of Lake Champlain, and it's about some kids finding the washed up corpse of a lake monster mm-hmm. on the beaches of Lake Champlain. And um, what would that be like? You know, you want to explore that. Another story, Wolverton Station is about a guy, um, a, you know, a, a sort of wolf of Wall Street um, getting on a train heading north in the United Kingdom and um, and a werewolf sits down next to him. <laughs> a werewolf in a business suit sits down next to him and he finds out that the world really is a dog-eat-dog place. <laughs> um, but, you know, in both cases, you know, in, in, in any event, you've got a concept and then, then you start writing. And what you're really looking for um, is a character to investigate. Someone who's a little mysterious, who has uh, facets you want to explore. And, you know, I'll, I'll search around, I'll hunt around, I'll try to find a character I can fall in love with or at least want to explore. And then you try to get them in trouble. <laughs> and under the pressure of menace, under the pressure of peril, they reveal things about themselves that otherwise would have remained hidden. And that's the job. That's what I'm looking for. And and I'll follow that thread until the character coughs up the truth about themselves, whether it takes 30 pages or 300. Mm-hmm. And it's just whenever you reach that point, you're like, well, there we are. And often yeah. I don't know. I mean, and often I don't know. My first book was a collection of short stories called 20th Century Ghosts. Mm-hmm. And I sold it to a small imprint in the United Kingdom, PS Publishing. And at the time, there were something like 12 stories in it. But the editor there said, we should get some exclusive material. So you could you write a couple of new stories for the collection? I said, sure. So I wrote one story called The Cape that was about 30 pages long. That was a story about a guy who has, uh, uh, he rediscovers his boyhood cape mm-hmm. and learns it will actually allow him, give him the power to fly. And then he does some stuff with it that Superman never would do. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then I started this other story about a guy who buys a ghost online. And I thought that would be about 25, 30 pages. The problem is, is the protagonist refused to die on my schedule. <laughs> he was like a cockroach. Every time I stepped on him, I'd lift mm-hmm. my foot and he'd scuttle away again. Um, and it became kind of a game to see how many times I could smash him and he'd get back up. And it turned out he could keep going for about 300 pages. So that yeah. was how I wrote my first novel. But I didn't know it would be a novel 
until I got to about page 90 or 95 and I thought, huh, looks like this one's going long. <laughs> uh, this collection, this new one in Full Throttle, it has a really wide array of stories in it. You have some that are co-authored with Stephen King. Yeah. There's a number that are being made into films now. One, I mean, uh, In the Tall Grass is up now. One of the last stories in the collection, yeah. In the Tall Grass, is about a brother and sister on a long road trip mm -hmm. uh, across the country. You could stop right there. That's a horror story. Oh, it does right sound, yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, obviously it is the setup for um, <laughs> terrible events to take place. But so they, uh, the, the sister is very pregnant and um, they pull over so she can be sick by the side of the road and they pull over next to this field of towering grass, mm -hmm. uh, you know, eight foot high grass. And while they're standing at the side of the road, they hear a boy shouting for help out there in the green. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they go looking for him, believing him, he, believing that he's very close to the road. And it turns out time and space are different inside this giant field and they can't find their way out either. Um, and there's a man who's lost his mind, who's out in the field too, who's very dangerous. And it, that that story was made into a film for Netflix, mm -hmm. uh, directed by uh, Vincenzo Natali, and it's a real shock fest. It's a you know, uh, it's absolutely terrifying. It's it's like, you know, hereditary level scary. Mm -hmm. um, and he did a wonderful job with it. You know, it's really um, mind bending and beautiful to look at, um, and a good ride. So, and that that came out literally like two days ago. Yeah, so, that's what that's what you know, I right thought, after yeah. the collection was released. So when you're done listening to this podcast, uh, go on to Netflix and watch and it. And check out yeah. In the Tall Grass. I had someone pitch that uh, movie to me as a field of dreams if the voice wasn't very nice to him. Yeah. Was, I, I've <laughs> and if there was no baseball. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've also sort of I've also sort of thought of it as as a kind of hayseed Midwestern inception. Yeah. Because of some of the stuff it does with time and space and and timelines folding over on each other. How you didn't go with the title Midwestern Inception, I'll never know. Midwestern That's... Inception. Well, I mean, you know, it hit me about three weeks ago. I was tweeting with my dad. I said, why didn't we name it Lawn of the Dead? Oh, man. What a huge miss. I'll, oh. be, I'll be regretting that for the rest of my career. That's the sequel. That yeah. Would be, yeah, in yeah, the yeah, 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 yeah. In the tall grass, too. Lawn of the Dead. Yeah. Um, from this collection, was there a story that was your favorite or your favorite to write at the very least? Every single story in the collection was my favorite while I was yeah. writing it. They're um, not, the stories aren't listening. You can tell us. Yeah, this nah, one nah. That, yeah. The, I mean, I mean, I don't know that, I don't know that there was one that in particular that, that pops out. I know that on the road, I have sometimes um, been reading uh, an abridged version of You Are Released, mm -hmm. which is the very last story in the collection. And it's about a, a group of people on a 747 flying from LA to Boston on the day that World War III breaks out and all the missiles are launched. Yeah. And, um, and it's about how terrifying that situation would be and trying to find a little hope in that situation. But it was also sort of making an argument about how partisan the country has become and our political differences mm -hmm. and, and the sort of um, single-minded anger at one another that you see online and in public forums. And the story is kind of making the argument that we're all on the plane together. Yeah. Um, you know, that... that that to a certain degree, all that hate isn't very mm -hmm. useful to any of us. Um, and that it would be more healthy to try to find some acceptance and understanding and common ground because we are all on the plane. Yeah. Have you ever read um, the Mark Twain play Cannibalism in the Car? 
No. This might be one for you to check out. He You're wrote, circling back to In the Tall Grass. Yeah, well, no. in the car. Well, no, it's it sounds similar. like every road trip I ever had with my little kid. <laughs> it's every uh, U.S. senator is in a train car that gets stuck in the snow, and they all have to decide who to eat first. <laughs> and it's like a really, that it kind of reminded me of. Uh, oh, I love least. that. Yeah, but like you should check that out. I wouldn't call it good, but I'd call it interesting. Um, so you've been, I think it's fair to say you've been surrounded by horror and sci-fi and genre fair for your whole life yeah. since like coming out of the womb. Is there, <laughs> is, there, is there still anything that scares you? Yeah, I mean, I was just thinking I came out of the womb holding a copy of Fangoria magazine, you know. <laughs> it was a very difficult birth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a deep cut because I probably a lot of the listeners won't know that Fangoria was this magazine that came out for years that was dedicated to the art of gross-out special effects. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I was in high school, I read every single issue. Yeah. It even had centerfolds, but these weren't exactly centerfolds like in Playboy, <laughs> you know, instead of some tasteful nude or whatever, you always had some gork with an axe in his head and like one eyeball <laughs> popping out. Um and uh, I loved those. I had this. I had those centerfolds all over my room. <laughs> what was the question? It was: Is there anything that still scares you? Oh, um, is there anything that still scares me? I mean, I'm a little bit of an. I don't think I'm. I think I'm pretty well adjusted, but I'm a little bit of an anxious person. Mm-hmm. I worry about. So I have three boys. Two of them are in college now. One is in high school. I worry a lot about public humiliation. Yeah, you know, I worry about it for me, and I worry about it for them. We live in a period when everything is online, and you can say some something stupid or post a photo that you thought was funny, but turns out to actually be offensive to a yeah. lot of people. Or, you know, you can just make a clumsy mistake. And I'm I'm using you to sort of say, like any teenager. Yeah. Like yeah. any teenager, you know, you're, you're a teenager, you take risks, you're impulsive. Um, um, you don't always have a great sense of perspective, you know, and, and every day there's always another possibility to say something stupid that will destroy the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And it's, we live in, you know, socially, it's a very unforgiving time. Um, and I just want them to be safe, you know, yeah. and and not to be, you know, not to have to endure, you know, some public scorn or whatever. And I always, you know, and I always worry too that I'll say something stupid someday and then they'll be stuck with a dad that embarrasses them. Oh, yeah. So Don't you wanna, worry. I'll edit you to say something stupid. Oh, yeah, good, 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 good. So yeah. we can go ahead and get that right I'll take away care then. of it, yeah. Best to deal with it now then, yeah. <laughs> no, but I feel, I feel the same way where when I was a teenager, YouTube had just started. So I feel like I just missed the boat of like, we're going to film everything. Yeah, let's go ahead and public film. Record. Right. Yeah. Let's go ahead and film something that will be on YouTube forever. Let me film all the amazing thoughts I had as a teenager. Right. Right. Yeah, we're totally right. Right. Yeah. Um, Halloween is coming up. Yeah. We're getting closer and closer. It's my favorite time of the year. I imagine it's something you might be into as well. Just yeah. getting a hint of that. Yeah. What's the best uh, costume you've ever, or best thing you've ever dressed up as for Halloween? I don't know about the, I don't know about the best thing I've ever dressed up as for Halloween, um, but I, I just came from New York Comic Con. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Where it's Halloween every day. It's Halloween every day. <laughs> I saw some extraordinary cosplay, but nothing could beat the guy who went as Deadpool Bob Ross. <laughs> so he looked like, so he was like Deadpool, but yeah. he had the big Bob Ross afro and he had the, you know, the, the, the palette of paint. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was classic. And I, I I'm, so ashamed that I didn't get a photo with him. I've seen a lot of people do costumes that they work Bob Ross into. I've seen Rick Bob Ross. Oh, like really? Rick Ross, the rapper. Yeah, yeah, that's like cool. Yeah, that's I'm cool. Like, any way you could do that. I've seen Bob Ross Geller as Bob, well. Bob is Ross is having a moment, do. I think. Yeah. Uh, it's weird how those tend to happen once uh, once we passed. 
Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's probably Mr. Rogers next. I feel like yeah. Mr. I feel like the time for Mr. Rogers mashups are you know is mm-hmm. here. Well, I think that I did see, and this wasn't a joke that the you know the pop up Halloween shops are selling a sexy Mr. Rogers. Sexy costume. Mr. Rogers is yeah. an actual yeah. thing. Won't you be my neighbor? Is there something entertainment wise or hobby wise that we might be shocked to hear that you are totally into? I don't given, know. given your your love of all things like genre, yeah, I don't know if anyone would be would be shocked. Sometimes when I finish a big project and I need a day off, I'll you know um, I'll build a giant Lego. Um, I built a I built a Lego Death Star, uh, a Lego Tower Bridge. Next up, I've got the James Bond Aston Martin, which I actually might, which I actually might be working on in just a couple of days because yeah. I'm I'm just coming off a book tour, and um, I was going to ask why you had that big bag of Legos with you. Right? You yeah, 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 yeah. So so a day to decompress <laughs> might be pretty good. Um, uh, I I I I play a terrible piano. <laughs> Um, I feel if I keep at it for another 10 years, I might get to a point where I'm not absolutely humiliating when I, you know, totally <laughs> embarrassing when I play. Um, Do you have a go-to song that you feel pretty, like, confident about being able to play? I feel okay about being able to play Somewhere Over the Rainbow. That's good. Yeah, it's not too bad. Yeah. It's not too bad. I've got a, I've got a version of Imagine I can play, um, but it's like a version of Imagine for, like, eight-year-olds. <laughs> you know, it's not like the full version. It's kind of yeah. like, if you can only play with two fingers, here's how to play. <laughs> Imagine. <laughs> if you had to guess, how many words do you think you've written? Ooh, well, that's a tough one because I've yeah. been. Do I? Do we count? Do I, it would be easier to figure out how many words I've had published? Yeah, because how many words I it would be almost impossible to calculate. Mm-hmm. I started writing every day when I was thirteen years old. Yeah, so I, I basically, I basically been making stuff up on a daily basis now for. Uh, over 30 years. Yeah. Some hack gave you on writing was like, you got to sit in, in, in your basement and write this many words a day. Well, yeah. I came, you know, it was like I would come home from like sixth grade and I would find my mom writing downstairs in her office. She had this, uh, she had this spasming tomato colored uh, uh, electric typewriter. Mm-hmm. The thing kind of shook like it had palsy all the yeah. time. And she'd be in there in her office making stuff up. And my dad would be up in his office sitting in front of this very futuristic Wang word processor, you know, and he'd be making stuff up. And I, you know, I just, at a very early age, I just absorbed this idea that every day you were supposed to sit by yourself and listen to the voices in your head Mm -hmm. and play make-believe. And that eventually, if you did that every day, someone would pay you a lot of money for it, (laughs) which actually, which actually did turn out to be true. Yeah, that's very nice. Yeah. So you've written like an insurmountable uh, amount of words. I'm sure you remember all of them, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I probably remember a few of them anyway. Well, we're going to test that okay, right now. Okay, let's find out. Yeah, let's uh, go for We're going to play the self-awareness game. Okay. So we got five clips from audiobooks. Sure. Uh, these are all words that you have written. Okay. They come from your mind, and you have to tell us what book they came from. Okay, let's go there for it. There are some short story ones in here, so I'm looking for the short story title, not, not the, the title of the collection came from. Right, okay. Otherwise, we're going to have to dock you points. I don't okay. want to have to. Do I get a prize if I nail all five? Yeah, self-satisfaction. It's a really? Real, yeah. Really? That's the only prize? There's not even a t-shirt? All right. Uh, I don't think the t-shirt would be better than the one you have on now, the Creep Show cruise yeah, shirt that you have. Yeah. Um, and to make it a little easier, just because there's so many words that we could have chose from, Every single one of these describes something bloody and terrible. Oh, it sounds so, good. Yeah. Okay. So that, it, that, it will, that, will actually, yeah. that will actually yeah. make it easier. All right. So those are the scenes you remember best. <laughs> so here is clip number one. It made a bony thwack and snapped his head to the side. She cackled. 
When he looked up, his hand was clapped over his mouth, but there was blood dribbling between his fingers. His eyes were childlike and frightened. That is clip number one. <laughs> uh, wow. Do you remember where you were when you wrote that clip? <laughs> Made a bony thwack? Yeah. Thwack is italicized, if that helps. Uh, wow. That's a tough one. Well, so, uh, so, so I admit, I admit I'm trying to, um, I'm trying, my workaround here, my cheat is that I know the audiobook readers yeah. pretty well. And so I don't really need to recognize mm -hmm. the line. Yeah, remember who read what. All I have to do <laughs> is, all I have to do is identify the audiobook reader's voice but I'm not quite, I am going to say that that is probably a clip from In the Tall Grass. That is actually from Snapshot. Ah, shit. That's okay. It's early it in the game. Will. It was Will. It yeah. was Will Wheaton, damn mm -hmm. it. Blame Will. It's not your fault. It's Will's fault. Um, okay, so we're going to move on to clip number two. He caught her wrist. She screamed, couldn't help it, and dropped the bag of blood. It hit the floor and exploded in a crimson gush, the hot spray drenching her feet. Ah! Oh, she cried. Ah! Oh, ah! Oh, oh, God! Uh, the next line just about is, uh, there's a place for your son in Christmas land. Um, <laughs> I think Kate Mulgrew does that, that tongue waggling. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's too bad that there's not a visual here because uh, Andrew just got uh, the, the, the full tongue, tongue wag, the Gene Simmons tongue wag. Yeah, um, yeah that's Nosferatu. That's Kate Mulgrew reading Nosferatu. This very beginning. That is correct. You're on the board. You're one for two. Okay. Uh, so moving on. To and if I get four out of five, I get a car. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For, if you get four out of five, you get a car. You get three out of five, you get a set of steak knives. Get any less, you're fired. Right, you're fired. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, here we go with clip number three. The operator's pulse was there. Ragged and irregular, but measurable. Close up, he smelled bad and not just of urine and booze. There was a cloying odor of caked, rotten blood. Um, well, there was a tiny little bit there that might have given it away, mm -hmm. and it had nothing to do with the reading. <laughs> I thought I heard the crackle of a needle on vinyl for a second, which leads mm -hmm. me to believe this is probably a clip from Dark Carousel. That is correct. Okay. Amazing uh, to put that together. That is from Dark Carousel. Dark uh, Carousel is the story of uh, uh, four teenagers who have graduated from high school and they're sort of taking their last stand against adulthood. And they spend a night at a rundown beachside carnival and uh, ride one of the fastest carousels in America, the Wheel of Fear. And um, I think that's what it's called. And, <laughs> uh, and, and do some things they regret um, and then uh, face a supernatural retribution. Um, and that was actually released uh, uh, not as uh, not in print, but mm -hmm. as a vinyl record. Yeah, uh, initially releases. I was like, it was like a rock star bucket list dream fulfilled. Mm -hmm. um, I had my own LP. Yeah, you've done it, and then it also appears in full throttle. It's now also in full well. right. It's but also get the vinyl too. Throttle. Get them both. Yeah, buy your whole backlog while you're at it. Well, I think yeah. I yeah. Well, I mean, I think <laughs> the great thing is the great thing about books. Uh, is that they wrap easily. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, like, you know, get, get a copy of Full Throttle for yourself, but buy two more for Christmas presents. I mean, they're very affordable and, and so easy to wrap. It's not like trying to wrap a there stuffed animal. Go. All right, clip number four. 
Oh, God, yes, right in the middle of the conversation, he forces a hot needle through the upper part of his brother's ear. Blood like you wouldn't believe. When the fat guy got up, it looked like he had been shot in the side of the head. His head is pouring blood. It's like the end of Carrie, like he just took a bath in it. Um, I think, I'm not positive, but I think that's a clip from Horns. That is from Best New Hoarder. Shoot. Yeah. Do you have a lot of ear-piercing scenes in, uh, in your work? No, but there was a reference to Carrie. Yeah. And, I, and so I immediately thought, when have I referenced Carrie? Carrie before. In the, and I know that there was a, there was a, there's a Carrie joke in Horns. And so I thought, maybe it's Horns. Ah, what am I, what does this make me? Two You're for, two for two for four. Two for so four. We got so one 50. clip left. One clip left okay. to see if we can go over five hundred. So if I so if I get the next one, I'm a winner. Yeah. And if I don't get the next one, I'm a loser. You should retire. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Here we go. The final clip. Okay. It might have been a dentist's waiting room if not for the concert posters in stainless steel frames. One of them showed a jar crammed with staring eyeballs, bloody knots of nerves dangling from the backs of them. That was for the All Eyes on You tour. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, well, that was a gimme. Uh, that's Stephen <laughs> Lang reading Heart Shaped Box. That is correct, Joe. You are a winner in my I'm book. I'm a winner. Of I'm the a winner. awareness game. I only have one more thing left to uh, suscept you to on this, and it is the dreaded, terrible Harper Audio grab bag. Which I'm excited. You can hear. I'm excited. It looks amazing. Okay. Uh, so reach in there, find a good question. It's going to be hard to do. There are no good questions in there. Okay. What I do got, we got one. All right. Um, if you weren't doing something creative for... No good handwriting in here either. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I can help you out for with For work, maybe. what job uh, will you have? If you weren't doing something creative <laughs> for work, what job will you have? Um, I guess I would probably... May, I would probably be... Well, so I guess I would probably be an English teacher. Mm -hmm. Although... Although I suspect that being a teacher is also creative. Yeah, I a guess creative act. it depends on, on your definition of creative. Right. But, yeah. I might be a librarian. Mm -hmm. um, but again, I think maybe librarians sometimes have to use creative skills. Yeah. Uh, certainly when matching the right reader with the right book, mm -hmm. um, that is itself a creative act. A lot of businesses, a, a, lot of, a lot of lines of work have threads of creativity stitched through them that might not be immediately apparent. So, so actually, the real challenge is trying to think of a job that you would have that wouldn't be creative, right? Where there there would be no no creative challenge um, whatsoever. Working on an oil rig, like <laughs> I mean, yeah, right. Like because like when I go through so much of my life is about books. Like when I go through it, I think, well, I could be an English teacher. Uh, I could be a librarian. I could own a bookstore. But like stocking a bookstore is a creative act. What kind of readings you have in would be... So it gets hard. Uh, um, it's hard to um, to nail down like a non-creative job. Trucking maybe. Trucking would be Maybe good. I would be a truck. Maybe I would be... Maybe I would do long-haul trucking because if I did long-haul trucking, I could listen to audiobooks. Yeah, they're our best market. Yeah, the, absolutely. The, the truckers. Absolutely. Yeah. So your last obligation... Okay. Is that when it's kind of like take a penny, leave a penny. Right. So I have an index card for you and a Sharpie if you would like to leave a question for the grab bag. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, tell us what that is on Mike. My question, the question I'm leaving behind is, what's scarier? 
great white sharks or social media. (laughs) (laughs) That's wonderful. Oh, I love that. (laughs) Okay. Thank you for your contribution. That is amazing. Thank you uh, for all of this, Joe. This has been a fantastic way to start my day. I hope you've had a great time. Andrew, I had a blast. Thank you. This was a lot of fun. Yep. Thank you so much. A big thank you again to Joe Hill. Full Throttle, read by Joe, Zachary Quinto, Will Wheaton, Kate Mulgrew, Neil Gaiman, Ashley Cummings, Lysla de Oliveira, Nate Cordry, Connor Jessup, Stephen Lang, and George Guidel is available now wherever you get your audiobooks. With the time we have left, we thought we'd chill your bones with a clip from Full Throttle. There's so many stories and narrators to choose from. So why don't we go with Wolverton Station, read by Neil Gaiman. Enjoy, if you dare. Wolverton Station. Saunders saw the first wolf as the train was pulling in to Wolverton Station. He glanced up from his Financial Times, and there it was, out on the platform, a wolf six feet tall with a scally cap tucked between his bristly, graying ears. The wolf stood on his hind legs, wore a trench coat, and held a briefcase in one paw. A bushy tail whipped impatiently back and forth, presumably poking out from a hole in the seat of his pants. The train was still moving, and in a moment, the wolf blinked out of sight. Saunders laughed, a short, breathless sound that did not quite convey amusement, and did the reasonable thing, looked back at his paper. It didn't surprise him, a wolf waiting on the train platform, The devil would probably be at the next stop. Saunders thought there was a good chance the fucking protesters would be parked in every station between London and Liverpool, parading around in costume, hoping someone would point a camera at them and stick them on the telly. They'd staked out his hotel in London, a raggedy-ass pack of a dozen kids marching back and forth on the sidewalk directly across the street. The management had offered Saunders a room in the rear, so he wouldn't have to see them, but he insisted on a suite up front just so he could look down on them. It was a hell of a lot more entertaining than anything on British TV. He hadn't spotted any wolfmen, but there had been a dude on stilts in an Uncle Sam costume with a three-foot rubber dong hanging out of his pants. Uncle Sam's features were stern and hateful, but the dong was scrubbed and pink and had some cheerful bounce to it. Slam and Sammy carried a sign in both hands. Uncle Sam pisses in a cup, and we English pay to drink it. No Jimmy coffee, no slave childs. Saunders had a good laugh at that, had enjoyed how it trod the line between righteous anger and mental deficiency. No slave childs. What had happened to the legendary British educational system? The other protesters, a gang of self-important hipsters, were hauling signs of their own. Theirs were a little less amusing. 
they showed photos of barefoot, half-naked black kids standing by coffee bushes, the children staring bleakly into the camera, eyes dewing over with tears as if they had just felt the foreman's lash. Saunders had seen it before, too often to really get angry, to be anything more than irritated, even if those signs perpetuated an outrageous lie. Jimmy Coffey didn't use kids in the field and never had. In the packing plants, yes, but not in the fields, and the plants were a hell of a lot more sanitary than the shanty towns those kids went home to. Anyway, Saunders couldn't hate the hot little hipster girls in their stomach-bearing Che Guevara t-shirts or their fashionably scrungy sandal-wearing boyfriends. They protested today, but in three years the hipster girls would be pushing baby carriages and the half hour they spent in Jimmy Coffee gossiping with their girlfriends would be the best part of their day. The scrungy hipster boys would be shaved and chasing jobs in middle management and would run into Jimmy every morning on the way to work for their all-important double shots of espresso, without which they could not make it through the most boring day of their lives since the day before. By then, if the hipsters allowed themselves to think about the time they had picketed to protest the arrival of Jimmy Coffee on British shores, it would be with a bemused flush of embarrassment at their own pointless and misplaced idealism. There had been a dozen of them in front of the hotel the night before, and two dozen in front of the flagship store in Covent Garden in the morning at the grand opening. Not great numbers. Most passers-by never so much as glanced at them. The small few who did take note of them always flinched at the sight of Uncle Sam with his rubber prick hanging out, the thing twitching back and forth like the great fleshy pendulum of some perverse, surreal grandfather clock. Grandfather cock? That was all anyone would remember, Uncle Sam's strap-on, not what was being protested. Saunders doubted that the marchers would register as anything more than a single sentence at the end of a minor story, buried in the business section of the Times. Possibly, someone would be quoted about Jimmy's business practices, practices Saunders himself had helped to develop. The way Jimmy worked, they found a neighborhood mom-and-pop coffeehouse that was doing good business and opened up across the street. A Jimmy franchise could operate at a loss for months, years if necessary, however long it took to put the competition out of business and claim its customers. And this was looked upon as an outrage, a borderline criminal act, and never mind that the mom and pop usually served watery third-rate instant in thimble-sized cups and couldn't be bothered to keep a clean bathroom. As for child labor, the protesters didn't like it, but were apparently at peace with children starving because there was no work at all. Saunders couldn't hate them. He understood their mindset too well. Once upon a time, he had marched himself. Marched, smoked weed, danced in his underwear at a dead concert, and trekked in India. He had gone abroad looking for transcendence a mantra, meaning, and goddamn if he hadn't found it.
Harper Audio Presents is a presentation of HarperCollins Publishers. Our staff includes Beth Ives, Fameta Sawyer, Nathan Rossborough, and me, Andrew Caberline. Follow us on Instagram at Harper Audio and reach out to us on Twitter at Harper Audio Presents.